Well, the last time I was on this side of the church, um, usually I'm with the young people, and it's my joy to, to, uh, to share with them every Sunday. But uh, last time I was here, we looked at Matthew chapter 7, and verse 13 and 14, two verses, enter in at the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in that way, because narrow is the gate, and hard is the way which leads to life, and few there be that find it. And as we, as we opened that passage, uh, uh, as we concluded that passage on that Sunday, I didn't feel that I ended well. I, I thought, you know what, I maybe left more questions than, than, than needed to be. And so I am glad to have this opportunity to do part two of that message. And, and up until this time uh, in, in the book of Matthew, the Lord Jesus has been trying to, very hard to get us to think about two things that we're not very good at thinking about. One is our physical mortality, what we shall eat and what we shall wear, and our spiritual immortality, the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord Jesus is desperate for each one of us to spend forever that immortality with him in that kingdom of heaven. So much so that he says, in the same way that, uh, that if, if you were uh, in, in an alley and, and, a, and a thief was to grab your jacket and, and you could quickly get out of that jacket and vamoose and leave him with your jacket... Right on. So what? Have the jacket, as long as I'm okay. And in the same way, these physical bodies are a jacket for our, immortality, our, our immortal spirits. And Jesus says, if, you're, if the thief is going to take your jacket, your foot, or your hand, or your eye, let him have it. Just don't miss the kingdom. And so, as we looked further on into this passage in Matthew chapter 7 and into some of Jesus' other parables and, and his teachings, we found that, that there was a very real possibility that we miss that kingdom of heaven. He talks about the nets that drags in fish. And once the fish get to shore, some are on this pile as undesirable, and some are in this pile as desirable. He talks about goats and sheep being in the same pasture together, and eventually the goats going over here and the sheep going over there. The sheep is desirable, the goats is undesirable. He talks about wheat and weeds growing in the same field together, only to at one point be separated and he talks about a friend who arrives at heaven's party without a garment. And so, there's a very real possibility that this wide way, which is easy to find, doesn't say destruction. It says heaven. And indeed, Proverbs chapter 14 says there is a way which seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is destruction. And so we went into the Apostle Paul's teaching, and in Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says, Test yourselves 
to see if you are in the faith. And that's kind of where we left off. And, and, um, and so to that end, we're going to carry on. Test yourselves that you are in the faith. And how can we do that? What do we test ourselves against? Well, the good news is, at the back of your Bible, there's a little epistle called 1 John. And 1 John chapter, chapter 5 and verse 13 has a very interesting verse. It's one that we don't get very often in the Bible. Or it's a type of verse we don't get very often in the Bible. And it says this, These things have I written unto you. So the book is five chapters long, so chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, and the rest of chapter 5. Have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. How convenient. Tells us straight up what it's written for and what we can gather from it. That you may know that you have eternal life and that you may have believe on the name of the Son of God. Well, let's look a little bit at a couple of things that it has to say to us. So we'll turn back, because it's these things, these things that were written before. And in chapter 2, verse 3, we read, And by this we know, remember, we're testing ourselves here to see if we're in the faith. First one is, by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. Oh, what are they? Well, if we turn over to chapter 3 and verse 14, we read this. We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. Oh, hold it. I thought it was about keeping commandments. Well, as we turn over to chapter 5 and verse 3, we find that it gets a little bit more specific. That we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Ever ask somebody to do it, to do something, and they go to do it, but they give you a one of those? Or you ask somebody to do something, and they walk away saying, oh, stupid, 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 stupid. God doesn't want that kind of obedience. His commandments are not burdensome. And then, as we go back again, to chapter 3 and verse 23, this is his commandment, and it's not burdensome, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. Well, now you're throwing something totally weird in there. It's one thing to keep God's commandments, to love God, Loving others is part of 
the whole gig? Well, we find out in chapter 3 and verse 14, by this we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother abides in death. And then it gets even tougher in verse 18, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Oh, so now it goes beyond saying that, you know, I love you, and if you need anything, just call. Please don't call, please don't call, please don't call. And in case someone might feel that I'm picking on you, I'm drawing from my own sin repertoire. But it's the way it is, isn't it? It's a human condition. And, but this love of one another is linked directly to salvation. And is love really that important to God? Well, let's look to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. And in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, we have a story that Jesus tells. And this story sometimes gets picked up in the wrong place. We, 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 we start the story too late. Because if we start the story right at the very beginning... We have in verse 25 of Luke chapter 10, a certain lawyer stands up and tests Jesus, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life. That's the question that he asks. And Jesus said unto him, he's a lawyer now, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Well, the lawyer answers, saying, You shall love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Now, this guy has just done something pretty amazing. On the spur of a moment, he has reached back into the recesses of his brain, and he has reached back into scrolls that he's read, not marked into chapters and verses, just rolled up, and, and, and in writing that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to me, but was able to make sense of those characters on that page, and all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, where it says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. But the next part isn't in the next verse in Deuteronomy. For that one, he had to go back even further to Leviticus chapter 18, verse 19, where, Jesus give, where, where God gives the commandment of how you should treat your neighbor, how you should treat one another and love thy neighbor as thyself. That's a pretty incredible accomplishment. And Jesus acknowledges that, and he said, nailed it. Well, no, that's not the translation. 
He says, you've answered right. Do this and thou shalt live. Okay. But we know from reading in 1 John that Jesus never leaves it there. And this guy, I think, kind of knew that because he says, desiring to justify himself, and who is my neighbor? That's usually where we pick up the story. But what was the real question? What do I do to have eternal life? So the story is not about the neighbor so much as it is about eternal life. And as and he desires to justify himself. Ever have that? You know, you, you kind of have a, I call it the sneaking suspicion that something is not right, but you just hope it is because you like going that direction anyway. And you're just looking for someone to validate you, even though you kind of think that maybe you might be sort of on the wrong trail, but you hope not. You know, in Revelation chapter 21, uh, there's a list of people that God says will not inherit eternal life. And in that list, it says liars will not inherit eternal life. And as I read that, you know, I don't think it's talking about the lie that you tell when somebody asks you if you remembered something. And in that moment, split second out of embarrassment, you say, oh, yeah, when in fact it was long gone. Although that is a sin and needs to be repented of and maybe restitution made. But I think what he's talking about there is the one who has lied to himself. The one who has lied about his condition before God. The one who has justified himself. And this guy, desiring to justify himself, says to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And we come to a very familiar story. Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he was at that place, came by, looked on him, and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatever you spend more, when I come again, I will repay you. Now, nobody can tell a story like Jesus. And he starts this story with a guy who is mugged on the way to Jericho. And being mugged, Jesus has the scenario of a priest and a Levite coming by him. Now, 
it's interesting that both the priest and the Levite were professional God-obeyers. They had obeying God down to a job, as it were. They, they, were, they were both full-time Christian workers, as it were. And they knew all about what was the first thing we, we had in, in 1 John? It was obey the commandments. Well, they had that part. They could both put up their hands for that part. But they left them there. And then we have the Samaritan coming by. And the Samaritan was, uh, if you will, um, well, Samaritans had by this point in history, uh, they started out as just a group of people, the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, Joseph's sons, uh, who were part of what became the northern kingdom when two brothers couldn't get along as to who should be king, and one took the south, then one took the north, and there was a desperate rift in the country that was never healed. And, and over the years, the people from the northern kingdom... Manasseh and Ephraim, uh, they, they tried to, to get back with the south. When, when Josiah was rebuilding the temple, uh, the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim, it says, they gave towards that rebuilding of the temple. And when Hezekiah was reinstituting the Passover after they had neglected it for a number of years, uh, it says that while the, some of the people were laughing Hezekiah to scorn, People from Manasseh and Ephraim, they came down. They had no idea what was going on, but they wanted to join in and be part of it. And so, so to that end, they tried. But then, then in, under Ezra, in Ezra chapter 2, verse 4, or 4, verse 2, we find that uh, they wanted to be part of building the temple in, in Jerusalem, but they couldn't produce the documents that said that they were a part of, that they were a part of the whole the whole. Uh, the whole family, and because they couldn't produce the documents, they were kicked out. And uh, and in to be fair to the people that kicked them out, uh, the tribe of Ephraim and, and those people they didn't respond well, and things went bad to worse. But they uh, they had by this point become uh, also in their uh, they had by this become a different. We'll call them a denomination. Because if they wouldn't let them worship at Jerusalem, they decided they would worship on Mount Gerizim. And, and they would, um, because that was where Joshua and Joshua chapter 8 had, had worshipped there. So they said, you know, we're going to worship here. And then they also had their version of the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, the, the book of the law, uh, that probably sent by the king of Syria, uh, when the people were being attacked by the lions in Second King, and you can see there's lots of sermons going all kinds of directions here. Nevertheless, <laughs> he's a Samaritan, and he's coming by. He's a different denomination. He worships on a different mountain. He's got a slightly different Torah. He comes by, and he sees him there, and... Uh, this guy's got some wounds. Well, what's he going to do? Where am I going to get a bandage? 
Well, I got this one. He'd have had to use his own shirt for a bandage. And then says he pours in oil. Well, uh, I don't know uh, about you. Um, we use we use oils in in our home for for medicinal purposes, and and they they work they work very well. But I happen to know that you don't get very much for seventy five bucks. <laughs> and and buddy pours in his oil. It might have been frankincense. Frankincense has has uh, wonderful healing healing properties, and uh, and then he pours in his wine. Um, I mean, he's on a long journey through a hot, arid, through a hot, arid place, and so he'd have brought something to drink, and so I got to wash the gravel out of that, and all I got is my bottle of Perrier. I could drink it, or I could wash his wounds with it. Well, pour it on, wash him up, put the oil on, bandage it up, all right, and then it says, and he went to the inn. And took care of him. And the next day, really? The next, who has that kind of time? All night? The next day? I mean, this guy's, this guy's obviously got places to go, people to see, things to do. Are we getting a picture so far? This Samaritan is pouring on love on this guy. He's just loving him. He's just loving him. And the next day, when he departed, took out two denarii, two days' wages, and gave them to the host of the inn and says, look after him. And when I come back, if there's any more, I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll pay you then. Well, that's a whole lot of loving, isn't it? And Jesus says, Now, which of these three was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy. And Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Wow. This loving business is more important. Is the question, Who's my neighbor? No, the question was, What shall I do? to inherit eternal life. Well, if we turn to Luke chapter 18, we meet another guy. And I'm sure Jesus isn't in particular picking on guys here. But in chapter 18, verse 18, it says, A certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Exact same question few chapters later, let's see if Jesus gives him the same answer. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? None is good except one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. So that's the commandment part, obey God's commandments. Okay. The guy says, got it. I'm there, done them all from my youth. Now, whether we read into it that he was really lying or not, um, 
Jesus didn't call him out on it if he was. But Jesus says, okay, one more thing. Go and sell what you got and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come, follow me. And the guy says, times. That is way too narrow a road for me. That road is becoming just a little bit crowded. And really, Jesus was asking him just to love those people enough to give up his time and his stuff. The Samaritan gave up his stuff and his time. And Jesus is asking this guy to give up his stuff and his time. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, With what difficulty shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the needle's eye than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they that heard it said, Ooh, who then can be saved? Yeah, the people that are hearing it are going, I'm not feeling it. I don't know about that. If I have to love people that much, there ain't nobody can be saved. Because I'm not feeling the love for the people. It's one thing to love God, but loving people, that's a whole different horse of a different story. And you know, in, in, uh, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is telling the people about things that are going to happen in the future. And as he's telling them about things that are going to happen in the future, he says, times are going to get tough. And because of these tough times, because of these tough times, it says in chapter, chapter 24, verse 12, he says, the love of many is going to wax cold. And as I consider that in light of these passages, the love of many is... The love for God? No. The love for people. Because, well, think of it in these last, in these last few, uh, few months that we've been in together in this tough time of COVID. I mean, we're still doing our devotions because, I mean, where would we be without the wonderful comfort of the Psalms? But I'll tell you, those people that feel that way about COVID, they must be this, that, or the other thing. And we still love our worship music because, I mean, doesn't it just transport us into the presence of God? But I'll tell you, those people that think the other way about COVID, they must be this, this that, and the other thing. And love waxes cold. Families are separated. Churches are separated. People are separated. Love waxes cold. And these people are saying... I just don't know how to love people like that. I can't do it. And Jesus says, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle. Now, I've heard it said that the eye of the needle was a nickname for a door in the gate where, where if you made the camel go down on his knees and you took everything off of the camel 
and shoved them through and then brought your stuff through, you could get through the eye of the needle. But that implies that with a little bit of extra effort, you can make it happen. That was never part of Jesus' message to us. Extra effort was never part of Jesus' message. I believe he meant the eye of the needle. And the only way for that camel to get through the eye of the needle would be to be reduced to its very smallest molecular particle, go through the eye of the needle, and some of you are thinking of this already, and be... Somebody yell it out. So, uh, uh, I heard it, I heard it. Born again. To be born again on the other side of the eye of the needle. And so, some of you are, are, are wishing that you'd have said that, I know. And, and you know, isn't that the way? Jesus says, you're right, you're not going to feel that way, but with God, everything is possible. But first, we have to be honest about our condition before God. We have to be honest about our sin and feel the reduction, the reducing of ourselves that the knowledge of that position before God brings. It's called repentance. We come to God in repentance, acknowledging our position, acknowledging, and to be broken down, to be reduced. Oh, I hate it when that happens. Anybody else hate it when that happens? That's a tough gig. But it's the only way to get through the eye of the needle. And when we're reduced, We've been reduced. God takes us through. And we're reborn on the other side of the eye of the needle. And when we're reborn on the other side of the needle, we're taken from being the weeds growing in that garden to the wheat. We're taken from being the goats in the pasture to the sheep. We're made from the undesirable ocean creatures to the desirable fish in the net were made from the path to destruction and pluck, plunked on to the narrow path where Jesus is the gate, Jesus is the door, and it leads to eternal life. And it's 11.09, I got to quit. But can I get an amen? Father in heaven, thank you that with you all things are possible. Thank you, Father, for your wonderful love and your desire for us. And I pray, Father, that by your grace you would strengthen us to love others that same way. You've promised us that it's possible with you. 
I pray, Father, that you would give us courage to come to you in repentance. You'd give us courage to be honest about our condition before you. And we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your love to us that makes us new and that will give us the power to be the people that you want us to be, that will put us on that road to eternity. Father, again, I pray for each one here this morning that by your Spirit, you would go with them. And as they think on these things, that you administered them to their hearts as only you can. 